0: 101 sound, and your baby. Fuck what they talk out I've been getting my cake and running wild since the look. Yup, getting it every day, I'm working sun up till the sundown. Yeah, I'm getting it every day, the niggas trying to see how I do this shit. What's up guys? This is Jake Carlisle and welcome to the Capital Gains Podcast, where we share our experiences on how to flip and invest in real estate, the stock market, and all things fitness. Join us as we dive deep into the world of self-development. And get ready to make some capital gains. What's up, guys? Jake here. I've got a great guest for you today. Um, y'all are going to recognize who he works for. I, d- I doubt you'll recognize who he is, but now you will. Um, he works for Force the First Form in uh, St. Louis, and uh, one of the best guys you'll ever meet. His name is Damian, and I'm I'm so grateful to have him on the podcast. Um, what's up, Damian? <laughs>
1: I'm doing well, Jake. It's great to hear from your brother. I know you're down there in a little bit of uh, warmer weather down there in Texas while we're getting the snowstorm here in uh, <laughs> Missouri. But yeah, man. Uh, yeah, it's great to talk to you and great to see you again. I know you've been super busy with everything you've had going on, but I'm looking forward to uh, being on the show today, man.
0: Absolutely. Um, so this is Damian Figueroa. Um, go ahead and, and tell them what's your like official title at First Form currently?
1: Yeah. So, uh, at first form, uh, what I do is I am one of the, uh, Legionnaire coaches. I I help with a lot of the, uh, athletes and influencers, um, that, uh, come into our program, um, and help with the coaching aspect of that. Um, started doing that back. Let's see here Would have been the, um, winter of, yeah, it's about two years now. It would have been February, Um, of 2020 of when I started doing that, I actually started, uh, in the warehouse when I first came to first form back in the fall of 2019, but I've been coaching for the past, uh, two years now.
0: There you go. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and then, so I, Damien's the guy who, who got me, or I guess started coaching me in the, in Legionnaire program to, to begin with. Um, we, we just kept in touch and, uh, he's seen me get busier and busier and busier And, uh, I remember, I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, his name is Eric Hines Mm -hmm. or Hines. I don't know how you say it, but dude's awesome. And we, we met at at summer smash and, uh, we've been, we've been just chatting back and forth ever since. And it's, it's pretty legit to see, just to see people like on the rise and see them grow. It's, it's interesting.
1: Very interesting. It is. And, you know, with, with growth and no matter what it is you do, you know, it could be, you know, you're working at Starbucks and trying to become a district manager, whatever it is, right? Like just seeing that growth and seeing other people win is uh, something, you know, later on in life that I've really learned to really celebrate with people because, you know, we can all get in our own way and stand in our own way and get jealous and say how lucky somebody is and, and all that stuff. But when you actually kind of change that perspective to cheering people on uh, in whatever it is that they're doing, like with you and the real estate stuff, I'm also going to getting your degree, like doing just really great things. I mean, the more that we can actually just come together and cheer people on, and whatever it is, and whatever our fields are, right? Like the more that we all become better, which I think is a really interesting take. And yeah, just cheering other people on is what it's all about.
0: Yep, absolutely. And that's that's one thing that's reinforced by the by the culture at first form, and that's that's really why I am so bought into it. People ask me all the time, it's like, well, why 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 do you why do you just just I mean, all you take is first form. Well, you just first form this, first form now. You just love first form, don't you? I'm like, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, you can. You can go and pick, you know, you can go pick any, any supplement company, right? Like it's all like, if, if you don't know any better, it's all the same, right? And so I'll go pick, I'll go pick the, the company that has the core values that I have and stands for what I believe in. Right. Um, at the end of the day, I do, I really do believe that first form has the best quality uh, products out there, but I tell everybody, you know, I'm, I don't really use first form for the products. I use it because of what first form stands for. So that's, uh, that's one thing that just reinforces the whole culture that, that Andy has built and, you know, Eric and, and you and just everybody is just on, on the path.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we're seeing that now over the past two years of, you know, what businesses people truly support. Right. Um, I, I think that's a great deal where, you know, a lot of people work hard for their hard-earned money and they want to spend their money with something they believe in. You know, and I think there's a lot of great companies now in the world today that, you know, especially, um, you know, probably more your generation, but even getting to my generation too, uh, really support where it's like, hey, if you purchase from us, we're going to, you know, plant three trees, maybe you're a big sustainability person, and you really support that cool then. That's why you continue to buy product from them. Maybe you don't like big corporate business, so you decide to support small business. Awesome. Great. Like you have to find you know, that of what you wish you support and, and what that company stands for. Because hey, like you taking that hard earned money that you're going out and supporting and, and paying for, and you know, even being that representation of either putting that shirt on or you know, having that sign outside your house or whatever it is. All comes down to you know what does that company stand for and what do you believe in and in their values and their morals and what they stand for and i think that's an important piece that's really been uh changing in the past couple of years where people are standing strong with what they support and what they want to support and what they're going to support going forward yep
0: and one one thing that's interesting to me and and you can you can chime in on this too whenever i'm at the gym and it's a little different uh demographic here so it's mostly college college students right Um, and down here, everybody's wearing the, the young law and the alpha Elite and, the you know, all the, all the little factions of, of like trendy clothes at the gym that you wear. Right. And then every once in a while, I'll see some people wear some first form Mm -hmm. and every, every single time, if they're wearing first form, I make sure that I go meet them and, and see what they're doing. Right. And see, you know, what they take, you know, where they got it from, where they started, whatever. And almost all of them. Um, they take first form because of the culture and the values that it re- represents, not because, oh, it's cool, oh, it t- tastes good, oh, this, oh, that. Like, it's just it's not just because Chris Bumstead wears it, it's, it's because the core values are there and what first form stands for is just so much bigger than a, a t-shirt, right? Or looking cool in the gym, right? Yeah. They, they do have awesome clothes, but that's just a bonus to the core values.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, you know, here at First Form live and die by our core values, you know, and it's something that's just not said, but it's truly embedded in us. Um, and it's something that, you know, even as you walk into our facility that we have at our headquarters, that's the first thing you see written on the walls. And you know this from being there, like as you go throughout the building and look around, like you see the core values constantly placed everywhere. And I think it's a good self-reflection and a reminder because I think a lot of people, to be fair, could say, okay, Every company or most companies have core values or say they do, right? And when you ask people what they are or if they stand for those, most people can't even repeat those. Like I still try to think back at when I was a police officer, we had core values as well and I can name a couple of them, but I definitely can't go through all of them and then recite all of them because again... My department and even looking at that organization wasn't bought into those values as much as we are at First Form and believe in those and truly try to live by those or even self-reflect on those and say, okay, out of these seven, eight core values, like where are we standing on those? Now we have more than that at First Form, but just an example of the amount where some people are like, hey, you work at this company, what are you guys' core values? Well, I don't really know. So it's like, you know, you're going to say that you have those things, but are you actually living by those? Are you actually day to day, even reflecting on yourself of where you can get better? Where can you apply those? What are you doing to live by those each and every day? And at first form, we take those very seriously. Like if you're not a, a part of that and you don't want to be a part of that, that's fine. We're totally cool with that. But that's just something that we stand for and that we, you know, really try to embody in ourselves and get better at each and every day as we continue to be better, because, you know, one of the aspects in our brand is, you know, to be be better, just be better as a human in every sort of way, whether that be physically, mentally, spiritually, whatever it is, trying to just really be better in every sort of way that we can. And I think that's where a lot of companies are even looking back at the previous employment that I had make the big mistake is you can say that you have these values, but are you truly living by these values is what truly matters.
0: Yep. One of the biggest things, um, I'm in a group run by uh, Ryan Stuman and one of his biggest deals is core values as well. Um, you know, I, I wonder why, because Stuman was, was coached by Andy. Oh, big whoop. Like it kind of makes a little sense. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, he, he's saying, or one of the biggest takeaways that we got from him is like when we hire somebody or when we go work with somebody or when we hire somebody to do some contract work or to go find deals for us or a realtor or whoever, if they don't meet our core values, we're not going to work with them, right? Mm-hmm. If they aren't honest, if they aren't honest, if they aren't if they don't have integrity, if they don't have discipline, if they don't um if they don't operate on the the basis of arete, we don't we don't work with them. And it's just that simple. And I think it's probably the same with with first form like if they don't have the core values um that they want, they're not going to hire them, not going to work with them, um etc. So it's just it's a very powerful Guiding path um, in business and life to, to getting things done and doing life with good people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think culture is everything, right? And I, I mean, you can even relate it to AM where you go to school. It's like if somebody comes in a locker room and you know they want to play football there just because you know it's one of the major sports there, let's just say for an example, and they come into this team atmosphere, let's say either they transferred in or they're a new freshman and they don't want to live by the values and culture of that team, well, eventually they just get pushed out. You know, because the the unity of the team is stronger than everything. The unity of that culture is stronger than everything. So, you know, that's where a lot of places have that issue where you know they they say that they have it, but they're not living by it, and then they let their culture break down. Where you know ours is so tight knit that hey, if you're going to come in the culture, hey, we're going to help you be about the culture and be you know a better human being uh, for whatever it is you want to achieve and accomplish. But if you're not about those core values, and if you're not about the culture, then eventually you just get weeded out and and it is what it is. And we wish you the best of luck. But, you know, it's one of those things where we stand strong on those because those have been embedded and and listed out by, you know, Andy and Chris and everybody else who's been at the company for a long time that, you know, hey, this is what we have our expectations of a culture. And, you know, even at times we've had to, you know, of course, correct our culture because we all need to self-assess ourselves and continue to get better. But if you're going to come and be a part of that team and and be a part of that culture, you know, you walk in like something like that a and locker room and think that you're gonna you know come and be a little bit different I'm telling you like you're just gonna get pushed right out of the locker room if that's the case and that's the same thing with us yep yep
0: I think I think a great uh a great example of that is is uh, Alabama and Nick Saban's culture Yep. yep. um yeah I, I talked I talked to my uncle a lot about that he played he played football at Texas Tech in uh from 95 to 99 and he he just he he tells me that like and it's it's pretty it's very obvious when they play, but like their culture is so like deeply ingrained in their players. It's it's like a different world. Like those boys are so disciplined and focused on the task at hand. Like when so when they lost to A and M this past weekend, not weekend year. Um, <laughs> Saban was like you know our, our guys just they they walked in with a little bit of ego and and then a and m you know they they had the the fire to win and and that was that i mean he he didn't make any excuses for him and they came out and and they came back and and won out the rest of the season right or i guess they lost to georgia but you know um they, they they just persevered and they they weren't one of the best teams like this year they had a bunch of of problems and and but they were they they fought they had the culture and they got it done at the end of the day so i, I think it's just you know i think culture was underrated um i guess um in the last 20 30 years and it's really reared its head because people just have started to hate working for Companies that don't treat them right, or or you know have people that, that have people that treat them right as well.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's a big decision. Why I decided to you know leave my previous law enforcement career um, and and actually come to First Form and make a huge career change uh, because I wanted to be a cop for a really long time. Like all I wanted to do was help people. Uh, my mom was in corrections uh, for a long time, so I grew up around you know other jailers, police officers, that kind of stuff, and I saw the impact that they could truly have and you know, it's kind of funny when a lot of people ask me, well, you know, it's kind of bad out there in the streets with what's going on, but it wasn't the streets that drove me out. It was my own internal department and my own internal, mostly the city council and the city government who I, you know, essentially worked for that drove me out because there was no culture, there was no support. You know, how can you work for people um, on a city council and a city government that just uh, honestly just badmouth you a lot. It's like, Hey, like, I'm a service worker. Like, I'm here to serve you in the community. And I'm fine with the community not agreeing with me um, and the community having some hard feelings just with politically with everything that's going on. But when somebody's supposed to have my back like them, like that really hurts. And that hurts the team and that's hurts the culture when you're quote unquote, let's say, city leaders. are are not in support of you. Right. And I'm not saying they have to be where there can always be a difference of opinion, but now coming to a new place where the culture is strong, where the leadership does believe in you is the leadership hard on you. Yeah. But that's because they're supposed to be because they want you to be better. But I know at the end of the day that my leadership would have my back. I know that my organization would have my back because it always comes down to doing the right thing. And as long as you do the right thing, they should have your back. Right. Yep. And so I think there's been a big, like you said, culture change where people want to be supported. They want to be a place, at a place where they're appreciated. Not saying that you need to tap on the back every day because, uh, again, it just doesn't work like that. But I think it's that place where you actually feel supported and that you actually feel that you are, um, I, don't, I don't want to say so much of an asset, but that you're a true person and that you are a true value to the organization where you work, whether you be, you know, the person with the corner office or the person that's sweeping the floors because every position in every organization, I mean, really truly matters.
0: Yep. Yep. I think, I think when people start becoming just numbers in in an organization, I think that's when you start feeling because, um, and obviously I don't operate a a business like that because I'm, you know, we have two people, but, um, you can just see it when people, when they go to Walmart or when they go to, it's a great example. So, down here in Brenham, I say Brenham, in just central Texas, mm-hmm. we have HEB, which is a grocery store. We also mm-hmm. have Walmart, which is national, right? Yep. If you go to the HEB in Brenham um, or here in Call Station, the employees are mostly younger kids, college age, high school age, whatever. Um, and like if you ask them, hey, how do you like HEB? They say, oh my gosh, we love it. Like our managers are awesome. We get we cash bonuses every once in a while, and they really take care of us. You go to Walmart; it's a stark, stark contrast. And I think Walmart's one of those ones that's like they 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 call it "quote unquote" too big to fail now. Um, and 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 re- realistically, it's it's a big monopoly at this point. But um, there's a there's a huge difference between the the employees and the, the type of people that work at Walmart and the type of people that work at HEB because the cultures are so 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 far. Removed from each other, um, that it's very apparent that the, the HEB culture is just is just like high class quality, and taking care of their people. Whereas Walmart is, you walk in, everybody looks sad, depressed, miserable. I'm just here to make a paycheck type thing, and uh, I think I think that's a very good example of that.
1: Yeah, I think it is as well. You know, you walk into those places and I mean, you can name, you know, a lot of different examples, but that's a great one. I've never been to one of those, but you know, I can think of different examples like back home, for example, um, where I'm from, we have quick trip. Um, and then we also, you know, have other gas stations, whether it be BP or whatever, it's like you walk into a quick trip back home in Wisconsin, like it's completely different. People are always greeting you. You can tell they like their job. I hear nothing but good things, their benefits, like they treat their employees incredibly well. Most of my friends that, you know, may have not went to college or may have not uh, found what they truly want to do yet. Like they, all of them still work there and all of them have good careers, good paying careers. They're taken care of their families are taken care of. They get cool bonuses and things like, that's a place that people really want to work because not because, I mean, even comparing, like I know more people that make more money than them, but they just care so much more about those employees that those employees actually want to stay and work there because they're actually cared about.
0: Yep. Yep, yeah. have you ever been to a Bucky's? Never heard of Bucky's. I have not yet. No. Man, you, so whenever I don't know I don't really know where Bucky's is nationally. I know there's a bunch in Texas, but whenever you go to it, whenever you come to Texas or anywhere near, go to a Bucky's. You will not be disappointed. Um that's another great that's another great example of a great culture mm-hmm. that really takes care of their people. Um and it's just awesome. I mean, it's they are they're going to they're going to tip they're going to they're going to take over the United States. I, I, I completely, <laughs> uh, I completely believe that.
1: Taking over. Um,
0: but yeah, that's good. I think, I think we went on that, that culture tangent and, and, uh, we can, we can dive a little bit more into that once we get into more first form, um, a little bit, but you, you talked about your law, law enforcement and your upbringing. Um, I want to dive more into that and see kind of where you came from and, and what got you into law enforcement and then ultimately out of law enforcement.
1: Yeah. Um, so at a young age, um, I'm originally I was born in the state of Minnesota. Uh, my parents at a young age, uh, my mom and dad were divorced. Uh, my dad was very uh alcohol and drug dependent, um, usually on pain prescription pills um and alcohol, and then um a, a lot of domestic abuse towards my mom and things like that. Um, so my mom actually met my stepdad. Um, I actually moved out to Wisconsin. I I lived in a city there called La Crosse, Wisconsin, which is right on the border of Minnesota and Wisconsin. The Mississippi River uh, divides the two, and we're right on the the Wisconsin side of the Mississippi River. I grew up there on the north side, um, and then actually went back to Minnesota for college at a university called St. Cloud State University, which is just uh, like 90 minutes out of uh, the Minneapolis area. Um, Went to school there for criminal justice and psychology, graduated from there. Um, and then I applied to a bunch of different departments just trying to get in. And I ended up back in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, at the time, it was incredibly hard to get a cop job. Uh, very, very difficult. It was, it was one of those things where you're probably, if you weren't a cop before, getting a call back unless you went to like a major city. Uh, but I didn't want to work for Minneapolis or St. Paul, not a department I wanted to affiliate with um, just because I didn't like the city and I didn't really want to live there very much. So Madison gave me a, uh, an opportunity. Um, I ended up going down to Madison um, and working in the capital city there uh, for about four and a half, close to five years. Um, and I think when, it, when I really truly started wanting to become a cop was I was kind of just thinking about my life and, and what I wanted to do and what I wanted to uh, accomplish. And I think service was always something that you know, really stood out to me, just being you know a person of service and to serve any way I could. Um, so I was kind of lost because I didn't know really know what I wanted to do. Obviously, I was in fitness. I, I was in sports growing up. I played three sports throughout my my high school. I've done everything you know, pretty much from a young age, um, starting with football, wrestling, baseball were my main three and going throughout there. And then when I didn't play anymore, I just worked out a ton in college, um, just hit, hitting the weight room and everything. But I just thought to myself, like, hey, what can I do? um, just actually serve other people. I love people like people are my thing. I love to have conversations with people and talk to people and working with people. Um, I wasn't one of those people where I could work in a lab, um, or sit down at a desk for a long period of time, that kind of stuff. Um, so I took a criminal justice class. I really enjoyed it. And I said, okay, like I'm kind of starting to fall into line and started to like it more and more learning about crime, learning about criminals, learning how, uh, you know, people operate and how they think, Kind of thing, and um, I eventually went to uh, the summer skills academy, did great with that, Um, passed all my state boards exams, stuff like that, and then ended up um, in Madison, Wisconsin, um, where I was a cop there for four and a half years. And when I was there, um, my primarily, uh, excuse me, I primarily worked in the downtown district. So everything that you guys see, um, that you may see from the University of Wisconsin, Madison. So we hosted a lot of different things. Um, if you guys are in the CrossFit space, we host CrossFit games in Madison, um, Ironmans, a bunch of different things um, that we do in that city that it's a very, very welcoming city. It's a great city. It's kind of a unique city because it's, it's on an isthmus. So there's two different lakes that's kind of separate uh, the main part of the city. It's a beautiful city and a great place to be and a great place to live, honestly. Um, and when I was getting into law enforcement, I was trying to find my way of like, even w- when you're in it, you know, what do you want to specialize in, right? Do you want to get really good at OWIs, DUIs? Do you really want to get into drugs? Like, what is it that you want to do? And I was kind of, you know, hanging around and, and trying to find my way. And I, I had an officer uh, that, I, that, you know, I really clipped on to, and uh, his name was Officer Kelly, and I, I really just enjoyed with what he was doing in, in the neighborhood. And in Madison, we had what's called a neighborhood resource officer. And we, we placed neighborhood resource officers where there were either high rates of crime or something where a dedicated officer needed to be dedicated to that area kind of as a full-time position, whether it be crime rate or population or whatever it was especially in the downtown area. There's a lot of people. We get a lot of foot traffic down there. There's a lot of events, um, a large homeless population in Madison. So there's a lot of different issues that can interplay with that and the safety of the public, that kind of stuff. But where Officer Kelly worked and what I really enjoyed is he actually worked on uh, an area called Langdon Street, which was where all of the fraternities and sororities were for University of Wisconsin-Madison. It was kind of funny because uh, it was one of those jurisdiction things where yes, they're, they're obviously campus students, but all of their property was on city property. Mm-hmm. They have these beautiful fraternity and sorority houses that are like lakefront property. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. prime real estate really. Um, <laughs> and, and it's kind of a, a unique neighborhood cause it's about five, six blocks uh, but even at the top of the block is the nicest hotel in Madison, so you get a, very, a lot of very wealthy people coming through there, and then they'll walk down and kind of see, you know, the fraternity parties on game day and, and things like that. So it's a really fun neighborhood to be a part of, um, and I just really enjoyed working with the students because it's a completely different dynamic where not only do I get to work with students, but I'm also working with the UW school system. I'm working with alumni. Um, I'm working with their parents. I'm working with people that come into the neighborhood um, that may or may not need to be in the neighborhood for the wrong or the right reasons, because we would get a lot of trickle over from the downtown area, kind of into that neighborhood. Um, Everything, you know, just from various levels of different crimes that would come through there um, and students from all over the world. So I think working with the university was really cool because I know a lot of uh, people where they struggle at least in law enforcement is you deal with the same people over and over and over again, which, A lot of times I did, but with the college students, it's kind of like you get a new, fresh new faces every year. Got to reset the standard every year. Who's going to be, you know, the house that's causing a little bit of trouble that we got to kind of course correct so they can stay active and engaged. Um, And that's kind of what I did for that last two and a half years of my career. Um, Unfortunately, when it was kind of coming to the time where I had to make the decision, um, we had a a new mayor come into office. Um, and unfortunately, uh, she was not very supportive of the police. Um, she was not in agreement with the budget and, and the things that we were trying to do, um, as a department, what my chief at the time, uh, was trying to do was to get us more officers, um, around, uh, don't quote me on this number is about 50 to 60 officers. We were short. Um, and we were getting more incredibly short because that you have sounds to think like a lot. Like, it is a lot. Uh, our department was about 400 or so, but you have to think not only that, but it's a job where people can get hurt. So if they get hurt, let's say they tear their ACL while they're out for a year. So we lose that body. Um, it was actually really cool because uh, our department was a big supporter of uh, maternity and paternity leave, which I think is fantastic. Uh, but if people go out in that expended period of time, well, it's not like we can bring somebody out the street and say, hey, you're a cop. Like, right. <laughs> like it's time to train and, and put people into that position. So we, we just didn't have a lot of cops on the street. So it came down to a budgeting agreement of whether we were gonna get more officers to help fill the streets or not. And unfortunately the mayor went a completely separate direction and gave millions and millions of dollars to other areas, um, mostly including the the city buses, um, which I'm not saying the buses didn't need, they needed a whole new system and that kind of stuff, but she allocated that money to that instead of the police department. So we were left again, very short. Um, And not only were we short people, but the the amount of applications to the department had dropped significantly. For example when i applied at the department which would have been the year of 2015 there was about 1200 applicants for 24 spots um and Man, the year that i left good. yeah it was really good and so the year that i left we had about 300 applicants for about 50 spots so you see mm. a significant drop off in the amount of people and here's the truth you're not going to hire all 300 people like, like those people aren't qualified i was a backgrounder like those people all, all were not qualified to be police officers and so just like you said, it almost becomes like a body game of like how many good people can we get and how many people can we actually get to make it through field training as, you know, a reasonable good officer. So it's it's a really, really hard thing to find good cops and get good cops um, in, in the car and go out and work. So, you know, going through that, the department had to make the decision and, and I firmly believe they made the right decision on this, which was, they had to cut certain positions to be, uh, bring officers back to patrol services, which I, we don't have a choice at that point because we don't have cops. So at that point in time, uh, my position was actually picked to be one of those. And the reason for that was because, um, you know, when you think about the areas, let's say on the north side of Madison, where they have a lot of gun crime, well, they don't have another police department that can really cover that area where at least in mine, at least the hope was like UW would come over, the, the campus would come over and help support the loss of that officer um, and help support that and be able to help with some of that crime rate and help with calls for service. So myself, other gang officers, school resource officers, drug narcotic officers, um, gang officers, these specialty positions, uh, we, we basically had to cut uh, multiple positions from each one. So when a lot of people ask about those positions, like, why don't we have more of this? Well, you gotta have patrol services cops to be able to do that. Right. Because you can't have the special services without that stuff because patrol services is the hardened beat of the whole departments because they're the ones that go out when you call 911 or when you lose your wallet or whatever it is. So without that base, you can't do the other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were losing officers for that and had to be pulled back in the street. And I honestly didn't really wanna go back to patrol services. Um, I, I really, really, truly loved my position. That was the thing is I loved the college students. I had a lot of fun. I loved working game days. Um, I loved students coming in and having a great experience um, and, and feeling safe in the neighborhood um, where I work. Now, did we have our problems? Absolutely. I can name multiple different cases that we've had. Um, because again, unfortunately, like we're not gonna stop everything, but if we can reduce crime and actually build uh, community relations, a lot of those crimes can be stopped. And that's what I tried to do. I tried to go and I actually met with pretty much every single fraternity and sorority at UW's campus. I would host a meeting for them. I would talk about safety, but we would have a little fun. You know, you got you to gotta break the ice because really what fraternity and sorority want a cop coming in to talk to them. Right. But again, when we're trying to like my mission was always like, I want you guys to have fun. We just got to do it safely. Because the right. last thing I want is you not going home to your parents and then me having to have that conversation right, right. so that is a big deal to me and their safety is a big deal <laughs> because that was my job so when the new mayor came in and that stuff started happening I was starting to get a, a little bit torn because of you know that decision being made but I think the thing that really tore me the most um was just seeing repeat offenders getting out and I'm not just talking like small repeat offenders I'm talking violent offenders people who are very violent people who you know um, you know have held somebody down and held them hostage for 8 hours and sexually assaulted them and get out within a year or two or something like that and it's just like why why are we continuing to deal with these violent criminals people who are a danger to the community that are causing problems like big problems in the community why do I keep having to deal with these people? Because the court system isn't holding up their end. The right. court system isn't doing their job by holding people accountable. Now, I know their job isn't easy. I know they're short staffed too. I know being, prosecutor, uh, being a prosecutor is a hard job, but I'm saying when, hey, the court system isn't holding up their line on that, it makes my job extremely difficult because the judge doesn't have to go explain to the parents why they didn't hold that you know, suspect in longer or whatever I do. They're calling me. They're wondering why the police department didn't do their job why we didn't do it. Well, you know, and it's like, hey, like you have to look at the criminal justice system as a whole and look at how the steps work. Like I make the arrest, I do the report, I gather all the evidence, I do the best I can to do everything I can to hold that person accountable for what they've done. But at the end of the day, unfortunately, it's not my decision, it's up to the court. Right. And what the court decides is what the court decides. Now, I believe if my number is correct in the county that I worked, which is the second biggest in the state of Wisconsin, around 80, 85% of people get probation. So you think of that mass number? Sounds like of a people lot that are getting. It is a lot. It's a ton. They always made a little joke. Uh, a, a lot of the people that, you know, I would work with um, just even in the streets and things like that, you know, you come, you, you come on vacation, you leave on probation. was always the joke you know, <laughs> because there was so much of it and they would know like, Hey, I'm not going to get in trouble for this. I'm not, you know, so there was no punishment a lot for what they were doing and, and even with our city tickets. So we would give people, you know, city ordinances for small things, whether it be drinking on the street or, or graffiti or whatever small issue it is. But our city court system didn't give warrants for those. So I could give you Jake five tickets, but guess what? They don't go to warrant. So yeah, you have an outstanding bill, but you're not, you're not going anywhere for it. So it's just like, I was handing you a piece of paper and nothing was being done about it. So that that's that whole thing. And here's the truth. Like criminals are not, they're not stupid people. They understand the system. So if I were to say, Hey, here's a ticket, they could just rip it up and be like, yeah, I don't got to pay this. And you're like, yep, you're right. Now, could I take you to jail? Yeah, I could. But again, you have to pick your battles with what's going on because if I take now that person to go to jail because they ripped up a simple ticket, now if I take myself out the street, how can I respond to that domestic disturbance or whatever it is? Something's so again, a lot more important. Exactly. Pick and choose your battles, right? So it started to really, really eat at my heart that there were people not being held accountable. Like again, the violent criminals. And, and it really tore me up. And there was one case in particular that really tore me up. And uh, I sat there in the courtroom and, and watched this poor uh, girl's parents um, sitting there and not not get the charges that should have been handed out. Um, and at the end of the day, I never talked to them afterwards, because I know I just had to leave the court system because I was very upset. Um, and, and I hope that they were okay with that decision. I, I never heard the answer. I could tell that they were upset when I was sitting in court. And I just said like, hey, like this this is probably enough for me. Like I can't I can't keep dealing with this and and putting my heart and soul into helping these victims and and them not getting justice anymore. So um, when First Form reached out, um, I decided to come out for an interview um, and just the culture and the people. and, And at that point, I just had to make the change of, well, I can keep being a cop for the next 30 years or seeing where it's going um, just decided to, uh, take a step away and make a change of career. I got right out before, uh, the COVID pandemic hit, um, all the George Floyd stuff hit. So I got out, uh, in November of 2019, just before all of that. And that's what, you know, kind of drove me out and chose me to make a change in career. Yeah, that makes
0: sense. That, uh, that's a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff and i i could see how how that one that one case without going into the details of it it could it could just kind of break the break the camel's back and and be like yeah i'm 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 done i'm out of here' is that, and is uh, is it be interesting i've been to madison um obviously because of the CrossFit games and it's a amazing place like it's it's awesome it's really awesome and uh UW's right there the capital's right there it's a it's a it's a great community but to see it from to see it from your side it's it's just It's interesting. It really is interesting because you you don't really know what's going on kind of in the background. Right. And so it's, it's, it's pretty interesting, but how did, uh, how did first form reach out? Like, did, did they reach out to you or did you reach out to them?
1: Yeah. Uh so uh I was, you know, an affiliate of the company myself. And um I was actually when I was at the department, I, I've been in a, like working out for a long time. Uh, I was always the guy who probably should have been studying, but I was reading articles on bodybuilding.com, you know, <laughs> trying to trying to get as big as strong as possible and reading about all the all the supplements and and doing all the things. I know a lot of uh, you know, older people would talk about, you know, their muscle magazines. And I, I mean during my generation it was bodybuilding.com. Like that's where I went and what I was studying and um, what I was doing, you know, and and just really uh, embracing myself into fitness. I uh, competed uh, in one bodybuilding show. I did the two thousand and fifteen Natural uh, Mister Minnesota Natural competition. Uh, loved it. I uh, probably won't do bodybuilding again. But then I was just doing other stuff and uh, um, just kind of finding my way into fitness and what I wanted to do um, because I wasn't in athletics anymore. And um, I became an affiliate of the company. Um, because I actually tried, uh, the, the opti like those, like, uh, my ex-girlfriend actually introduced me to him. She's like, you got to try these. I was like, no, I ain't, I ain't drinking that stuff. Like <laughs> total, ego, total ego. Like I'm not drinking that. I drink protein powder and pre-workout, right? Like total ego in my own head. And, uh, she's like, no, you got to really try these. Like they're, they're fantastic. And I was like, okay, like I'll give them a try. And I tried, them. like, wow, those are actually really good. And, uh, it was actually starting to help me feel better after I started, uh, to consistently take them just with some of my gut health stuff, um, that I was dealing with and, um, just going through it. And then I was like, Hey, maybe, maybe their protein's okay. And then I tried the protein and I got this handwritten thank you note. And I'm like, wow, like I got a thank you note from a company. Like, this is weird. And I just started to dive more into it. And at that time I was like, I already had my personal training certificate. I was getting my nutrition, uh, certificate. Um, I was just fully diving in the fitness. I was actually a part-time trainer at a gym, um, in downtown Madison, uh, just kind of get my foot into fitness, that kind of stuff. Um, and I just started to grow and grow and grow. And, uh, actually my boss reached out to me, uh, his name is Cody. He's like, Hey, have you ever thought about working for first form? And, I didn't have any clue. I was like, I don't, I don't really know. Like, you know, I was in this essentially a good, a cushy government career, you know, like, unless I really screwed something up, like I wasn't getting fired. Like right. I was well on my way to where I could be a detective or do something more of the department, you know, like just working to investigative services, which I probably was going to go into or be a Sergeant. One of the two, I didn't really decide yet, but I was like, okay, like I'll give it a shot. Like I got nothing to lose. I can always say no, you know? So I came out here, was flown out here by the company. Um, and I was like, holy crap, like this company is going to fly me out for an interview. Like, this is incredible. And I came out here and uh, interviewed for the position. And I just had a lot to, you know, kind of think about and weigh, weigh on. And um, at the time, they didn't really have a position. Um, still, we were still at our old headquarters, still a really small company in the big scheme of things. I mean, we're pretty, even a small company now compared to, you know, some of the, the larger companies out there. And uh, just thinking about, you know, the decision for a while and. Eventually um, you know, it was kind of growing and I, I actually came back out for an event that we have out here. Um, it's kind of a customer service uh celebration and now it's more of an employee celebration event called Fall Fest, which is actually held at Andy's private farm. It's a beautiful event. Um, and I just was like, Yeah, like I, I think this is just where I need to be. Um, and then on November first, I always remember twenty nineteen, I was actually studying at a coffee shop and I get a call from Cody and he's like, Hey, are you ready for your dreams to come true? And I said, Yeah, let's do it. So right then and there I, I took the position and uh, I've been here ever since and I just feel like I'm in the right spot and was in the right position at the right time. There you go. That's awesome. And
0: I think that's probably, that's probably most people's experiences because there's just those little things that, that's, that make first form stand out. Um, Mm -hmm. whether it be the, the handwritten note, like, I don't know anybody else, anybody else. I don't know anybody else who does that. I don't, I don't, I don't know who does. And maybe I, maybe I haven't used enough people, but I don't know anybody else who does that and uh it's just really interesting to see like the little small details it, it really makes up the the big hole right yeah. um like they don't like they they do so many small things well that everything is just awesome I, I like I guess is what I'm trying to say um and then fl- getting flown out like that's pretty crazy
1: yeah um, it, was, it was incredible
0: <laughs> And I'm sure you you walked in and, and the culture was just like holy crap this is awesome Mm -hmm. Um, which is how I was when, when we went to summer smash, I walked in. I'm like, wow, like this is, this is next level. Mm -hmm. It really is.
1: Yeah. Walking into a new environment like that was, was honestly life-changing because at my police department, I didn't have any of that. Um, I worked with honestly amazing people everywhere from patrol cops to detectives to um, even a lot of my leadership was great. Um, But I think a a big change even came when my chief uh, up and left Um, and he made a, you know, decision to step down and retire and, you know, just with, uh, some other people, you know, because even in that government job, you know, a lot of people, even including myself, um, started to become, you know, they can become a bit negative. Um, and even myself started to become a a bit negative because, you know, when you're a police officer, it's not like you're dealing with great things every day, you know, like your, your wins are hard to find, um, in, in the big scheme of things, because a lot of those, those hard things can stack up and right. stack up and stack up and stack up. And it's just like over and over again, you're dealing and you're seeing uh, the side of life that can be quite negative because that's all you do essentially is de- deal with negative people all day, all mm-hmm. day, every day, you yeah. know, and, it, and it's hard um, to be the person that takes that brunt on every single day and that it makes you and your coworkers negative, and then you become negative. And it's like, hey, like, I, I when I came here, I was like, that attitude ain't gonna fly here, you know, and I had to make a, a change. And it was, I, I'm honestly so grateful for the change because the culture would drive me right out if I was like that negative person, right? right. And complacent where I was at. And so, you know, the culture, just even a culture shock was, Good for me because it's it's kind of like you're either gonna sink or swim. So you better figure it out. <laughs> it's which is good though, because you need that. Like you can't have your hand held in everything in life. And so when I was, you know, as a cop, you know, I even noticed later on, like, man, I wasn't studying the law as much as I should have been. I didn't uh we didn't get to go to trainings anymore because we didn't have the funding to support us going to training. Like you weren't getting any better. So it's just like, what do you do? You know, you just kind of get complacent with where you're at, but but here in the culture and just striving to get better and trying to be better and not only myself getting better but it's really awesome to have your teammates hold you accountable to being better too you know it's not like somebody sitting next to you and you're like no we'll just sit in the break room you know for two hours and just you know hang out and whatever which you know everybody likes to do and whatever because you can just talk and hang out but you know a lot of my teammates are like hey man we're like we got to get better like we got to work and continue getting better you know and, and working on ourselves and whatever it is that we're doing so the culture shock is, is quite a, a big one for a lot of places because i don't feel like there's a place like ours but Um, for a lot of people, it's, it's one of the best changes that you can ever have in your life. Absolutely. I think it's one of the big things you,
0: you were saying something about, you just said it, like you have your coworkers that are making you better every day. Right. And I think that's one of those deals when I walked in, it's like, okay, I, now I'm surrounded by everybody who every single day they wake up and they're asking themselves, how can I get better today? Like, what am I doing today? What task am I, am I doing to move me forward? Right. It's, it's just a different, completely different mindset from, from the status quo and I mean, everything that you're taught or surrounded by growing up. Um, and when everybody is on that same path, you can't help, but just be on that same path. Right. It's, it's almost like it's, uh, it's almost like it's second nature there at first form to just get better every day. When in, you know, the real, real world, quote unquote, real world, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's not like that. Right. Um, mean, I, I can go to true fit here in call station, but you're going to walk in and there's people, people are awesome. Like for phase three, I had to I have to meet somebody every day. Right. And so I've been meet, meeting people every day and most of them are actually really cool. We're like really good people, but you, you see, you walk in and everybody just kind of assumes that everybody's in there just for ego reasons. Right. They <laughs> just want to look at themselves. And a lot of them are like, a lot of them truthfully are in there. Just. So just look pretty, look at themselves, whatever it is what it is. But then, you know, it, if you get in a room full of people like first form, when everybody's in there and it's not, it's not like ego centered lifting or, or personal development, it is like, Hey, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be better for the overall, right? If I'm better, he's better and we're all better. Right. And so it, it's just a completely different culture. and And that's something that really stood out to me. And I told my buddy, when I was at Summer Smash. I told my buddy. I said, if I ever, um, like, if I ever went bankrupt or I, I ever couldn't like do my own thing, First Form would be the only company I ever work for. And um, because of this, it's just the culture is there. Like, it's just so it's so apparent, and you you can't ignore it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's you know, you said so many good points there with, with just the culture and you know, helping each other, holding each other accountable, becoming better, like. You know, it's it's just one of those things where, you know, a lot of people don't like it either because it makes you uncomfortable to be held accountable. It's like, yeah, you walk in our building and you notice how clean everything is and how organized things are. Well, we don't have a cleaning crew, but we take a lot of pride in the place that we work, right? It's like, I could go into my old police department, there's paper all over the floor, everybody's desk is messy, chairs over the place. Like, but it ain't like that where I work. And why? Because, well, we pretty much, you know, When whatever career you want to say that you're in, you're at that place, a majority of your life, or you're working a majority of your life. So like, why aren't you respecting your workplace, like the bathroom, like, why should the bathrooms not be taken care of? Why should there not be water all over the sink or all over the mirror, or like little things like that, where it's like, not only is it a huge deal, because we work there every single day, but how do you think it looks to our guests to walk in the building? Like if you and your buddy walked in the building and you saw chairs pushed all over the place, paper all over the floor, tape, wherever, you know what I mean? Like it just, dude, like it's not, that's not the standard of what we have. and, And that's not what we, you know, strive to do to be best in every area of your life. Because again, like we spend a majority of our life at work. So we wanna make sure that we're taking care of our workplace. Yeah, you know what? Our company is big enough and large enough where we could hire a, a, you know, a cleaning crew to come in at five o'clock and be like, well, it's your problem to pick up the paper on the floor. Well, it's your problem to dust the tables, but it ain't like that. And, and I think the best thing that it carries over to not just you know, work and my work environment and the work environment that we all have and hold each other accountable to doing that, but it carries over a ton to my home life. My car is cleaner. My house is cleaner. I'm noticing little things in my house that I could be better at. Be like, oh, I can make my bed a little bit better. I could clean the dishes a little bit faster, you know, but it's just about like, why, why would I not do those things? Because a lot of people would be like, why would you, but why would you not want to? Like when somebody walks in your house, for example, why would you not want the cleanest toilet that anybody's ever seen? Like, why not? You know, like, and so like that, those things start to click into you where I learned a lot from my previous employment where like that same standard isn't there, but that's why like a lot of people like that's why they're at where they're at, where they're at. And they're going to accept being, and that's okay. Like if that's what you want, like that's totally okay. But for myself and where I was going, I can tell what you're doing, where you're going. Like, it's not the same that way, but that's okay too, to hold yourself to that standard of what you expect to yourself, but also having that leadership to hold you accountable. Those coworkers to hold you accountable to say, Hey, like this is how we do things. And that's not only going to help you get better at work, but it's actually going to help you get better in life too. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I think it's the
0: little things. One of the one of the biggest things and this is just two instances that pop in my head it's like uh you know you listen to andy on the podcast and he's like if you can't wipe the piss droplets off the toilet seat who are you to tell anybody like to do anything it's like you're like the scum of the earth and I, th- yep. I think like just small things like that it's like like do you not take any pride in anything you do if you if you leave if you leave that on the toilet seat right exactly or- exactly or like you said, the, the water on the mirrors. Um, I remember, I don't know what post or maybe it was a podcast. Andy was like, like he, he said, you know, this morning I blew up because he walked in the, the bathroom and there was a bunch of water on the mirrors. And he said, you know, that may not sound like a big deal, but, um, you know, with our standards being so high it is right. And so he went and he went and found the people and, and, uh, and corrected it. But yeah, it's just, you can tell a lot about people or a culture when there's just small little details. So small little details add up, you know, yeah. the water, the water on the floor, the water on the sink, the water on the mirrors, um, the doors being broken or, or things being dirty, you know, it's, it's one small thing after another ends up being this big pigsty. And like every single day I have to have, I have to do a random act of kindness for phase three and it never fails that, the whole gym is so messy. Like it take me probably two years to clean it all. But every single piece of uh, paper that we that we use to wipe down the equipment, uh, and then the boys' bathroom, completely trash. Mm-hmm. So I pick up every single piece of paper that I see. And I'll go in the boys' bathroom. I'll clean everything I see. Close all the doors. Make everything perfect. And then when I leave, it's it's good, right? And then when I come back, right back to where we were. Yep. So it's just, it's just stuff like that. Uh, and it's just small little things, but it's just, you gotta, you gotta stay on top of
1: it. Yeah. And I think you, you know, when you mentioned Nick Saban earlier, one of the, uh, my favorite books, if you know, people on the podcast are into personal development, I know you are, but you know, Ben Newman's book, uh, it's either uncommon leadership or 11 uncommon leaders, something like that. It's one of his new ones. It's a great book, but Nick's the first, first chapter. And, you know, it goes back to, you know, the saying, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Right. And that truly bleeds over in your life. Like, it was such a great chapter to open up with. And that, like you talked about earlier, like, that's why Saban's culture is the way it is. And that's why his team is the way that it is. That's why the, he is the leader he is. Because it carries over how you do one thing is how you do everything. It's like, okay, you go in somebody else's locker room, and you decide to trash the locker room. You throw a paper towel all over. You know, you, you don't do these certain, like, little things. And you're like, oh, I do that stuff at home. Well, do you? Well, why are you doing that in somebody else's place? You know, that's that's one thing where it's like, well, you have to really think about that. And like, you can probably even go look and look in that person's car or maybe their apartment or whatever it is. And a lot of that bleeds over into their life because how you do one thing is how you do everything. And it truly carries over into that to becoming better by looking at yourself and actually self assessing yourself like, okay, like. Where in my area in my life am I, am I weak or what am I lacking on? And that's for all of us. You're like, oh, you know what? My, my bed could have been made a little bit better this morning because all I did was pull the sheets up. It's like, no, I should have actually went in, squared it up, you know, tucked in here, tucked in there, that kind of stuff. It's like, because that's going to bleed over into the rest of my day if I get lackadaisical in that, because again, just like Nick says, and it's just a great saying that again, I try to carry out with me most days is, you know, trying to remember, you know, how I do one thing is how I do everything.
0: Yep. Absolutely. And I, I think most like growing up, um, you know, you hear that saying, how you do one thing is how you do everything. And you're like, oh, it's cliché. Oh, like, you know, I you know, I'm I'm super disciplined in working out. So, like, but but I'm like messy at home and my room isn't clean. It's like, oh, so it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But it really it really does matter because if you come you come home and your room's messy, when I mean, your training's going to be messy. You're not going to be disciplined with your rest times or your your you know, you're not going to be going harder or, or heavier the next week than you are the week before. You're not going to be attention to the detail you need to be to get the edge up because somebody else is. They're clean at home, they're doing their resting, and they're doing better the the week after than they did the week before. And those little things over five ten years add up a bunch. And then he'll be, you know, competing at the Olympia, and you'll be just half ass. You know, yep. exactly. Um, and it, it's it and even you know like like right now my desk is not clean at all like and it's 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 just my fault but same with my car like my car isn't clean and my desk isn't clean my room's pretty clean and uh I just rearranged it and made it made it tidy but um you know there's just, just really small things that add up I mean it's just really small things that add up over and over and over and over so um just being attention to that detail and really taking wheat or how you do one thing is how you do everything seriously um and just and just you know to where it's not weird because people will say oh that's so weird like you're just you're just weird it's like no no i'm just i'm just just proper i guess that so well that was good um yeah what uh let's see what, what what kind of questions do i have for you um What, uh, hmm. I want to ask you a couple questions. What is your favorite part about working for first form?
1: My favorite part. I mean, I think we hit on a lot is the culture, but I think, you know, a lot of it even goes back to, you know, my leadership too. and, And the reason why I didn't, you know, um, Really hit on that too hard yet because I wasn't sure if we were going to get into it or not. But, but I mean, from Andy to Chris to, you know, Sal and, and, you know, everybody else that, you know, my, my closest bosses, which are Aaron and Cody, it's one of those things that I know that they truly care. And, and I think that's important because. You know, where I worked beforehand with the city government, with the mayor I had, with the city council I had, I truthfully believed those people did not care. Um, And they were very vocal about that. And that's okay. You have, I I don't want people to freak out. Like, yes, you have that freedom of speech and your opinion. Like, I'm not trying to step on that or anything. Like, I get it. But, you know, I I just always felt it was wrong. Like, hey, like, I'm supposed to be working for you guys and helping you guys carry out to make the city safer. But when you say the things you say, and you do the things that you do to a department that essentially has not done really anything wrong. um, We even had a third party come in and evaluate that our department, we did extremely well on that evaluation that the city decided to pay thousands and thousands of dollars for. Like other departments are doing or having these evaluations and coming and having a third party come in to evaluate. Now, if you pay somebody that amount of money, yes, they're going to find some things that are wrong and that's okay. We were always humble enough to look to get better. And we had things in place that we were looking to get better. But with some of the things that are said, and it's like, wait a second, you're supposed to be my leader of the city.
0: And Mm -hmm. this is how
1: you treat us. Mm -hmm. I guarantee our, our mayor couldn't walk down and probably name 15 police officers that worked for her. You know, it's like, Hey, like, do you actually care about us? Because it doesn't seem like it at all. And it definitely doesn't. I think it showed even more because I know the department has had multiple and multiple and multiple people leave and retirements from the top of the staff. Why? Well, part of that reason was the root cause of leadership. I think if your department or your place of work has weak leadership, you're going to lose people. You're going to lose great people. And one of the coolest things that Andy's even said that you know when he was developing as a leader like because either he couldn't pay them enough or whatever his mistake was like he lost great employees because of that And now he's like you know part of that mission him always continuing to get better is to continue to treat you know employees the right way and do the right thing not only for the employees but by the customer too because the customer is you know the lifeblood of our company but you know looking back at the leadership of my much internally but just the city people who are appointed by other people and sit on these big chairs that have a lot of power and a lot of political pull it was it was almost in my opinion completely embarrassing by some of the way that they acted and some of the things that they did um for people who honestly were trying to do the right thing and trying to go out there and and do good in the community so i think not only culture but i think leadership is one of the biggest things that I truly appreciate about being there, um, because I know my leaders support me. My leaders push me to get better, and even though at times I haven't agreed with my leadership, they've always, you know, done it for the right reasons, um, and have always pushed me to become better.
0: Right. So one thing that I <clears throat> that I hear a lot of from people is that, um, like for example, Andy, he you know he's he's really harsh on, on the podcasts and um, very very like to the point vocal. This is the facts, whatever. Same thing with all his Instagram stories. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, man, I just, I just don't know if I can, if I can, you know, I just can't handle it. Like, it's too much. And I'm like, okay, okay. But like, when you know, when I when I see him in, in on Summer Smash, and he's talking to a girl who has completely turned her life around, and he is being insanely humble and and nice and kind and like just a normal person. It's like, you know, if you listen to the podcast, that's that's you know, that is Andy. But like you gotta realize that if that was just him 24-7, nobody would listen to him, right? There there is a authenticity and kindness that that is very apparent to me um about Andy that is is I think most people just kind of see the see it for surface level. Um and I think that's why you are are so like so high on it because um you know it's just like sorry, he uh He's very vocal in the podcast, but when you when you really get deep into it, he cares, and they all care, and you know they care. Yep. And uh, that's something that I guess um, I wanted to be to be said. Like like how do these guys operate day to day? Like are they always rah-rah in your face? Like, going to get shit done, or or are 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 they like are they kind and do they teach you things and and like how does that look? Like do they do they lead by example? Do they just boss you around? What's, what's the, what's the dynamic?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, all my leaders, I can't think of one that doesn't lead by example. And that doesn't mean that, you know, they're complete, you know, competing in ultra marathons or whatever it is like, no, I see Andy and Sal and, and, you know, Chris and Aaron and Cody work out like every day, you know, I see them at our office like every day working. Um, no, they don't, you know, breathe down my throat or tell me, you know, like, you know, crack the whip and say, you know, work harder, you know, all that stuff. Uh, but there is an expectation where we work that you will work hard. Right. And, and we take a lot of pride in working hard. Like we, we like to know like, Hey, we are hardworking individuals. And I think there's pride in that hard work because I don't think anybody's ever accomplished something that they're proud of. That was easy. You know, it's, it's always because of that hard work that they've truly embodied and embraced, and so with, with the leadership there, like they're constantly leading by example. They're constantly providing us value. They're constantly gonna see the better. And I think, yeah, because you know, there there have been a lot of differences in, in opinion on Andy um, and, and how he, you know, portrays himself and what he does. But what that's fueled by is passion. You know, mm-hmm. he's one of the most passionate individuals I've ever seen. Um, and it's passion, you know, coming from his experiences and where he's been and the mistakes he's made that he teaches to us, you know, they bring, you know, him and Sal, I should say, bring their dad in and, and Jim talks to us and gives us life lessons. Sal gives us life lessons and they bring in, you know, only certain people to come talk to us and provide us life lessons, which, you know, some people on this podcast may know, like JP Danell has come talk to us who is an amazing individual. Um, we've had James Lawrence come and talk to us, Who is the individual who completed a hundred Ironmans in a hundred days. Um, the Iron Cowboy, they call him, and he's came and talked to us. So we've had a lot of really great individuals that have come and talked to us and have taught us life lessons and things to get better. Um, but Andy and Sal obviously, you know, are in there helping us get better as well. Um, And, you know, helping us individually and and helping us with our careers and where we can be better in life. And, you know, whether it was from Andy's podcast, I mean, I don't talk to, you know, Andy every single day and I get a, you know, one-on-one meeting and a kumbaya meeting, like it's not how it works. But Andy puts a lot of the same message out there on his podcast for free. It's just how you listen to it and apply that information, which will help you with where it is you want to go. Now, you know, meeting with some of the leaders I'm closest with, like Cody and Aaron, they have taught me a great deal because I've worked closely with them, but who did they learn from? They learned from Andy and Sal, you know, and and the other leaders we have, and then it trickles down and then trickles down, right? So, you know, learning from my leaders has been a a really great thing. Um, And even at times, I think what I love is like, even though we've disagreed, like we're all on the same mission and on the same boat together, trying to get better together and and trying to accomplish a mission, which is trying to help as many people as possible. and so. I think when it comes down to it, like I I couldn't be more grateful for the leadership that I have because in my last career, I've been around a lot of really bad leadership. Mm -hmm. And then coming into this place, now I've been around a lot of really great leadership and I'm very grateful for that.
0: Yep. Yep. I think, I think that's, I think it's contagious. I think the leadership is contagious because if they're leading by example and you can see that that is like attainable or that's like a standard operation procedure, um, you want to be that right? Like that's, if that's the standard, like that's awesome. I, I have to be that way. Um, same thing as Nick Saban, um, same thing as here, Jimbo Fisher. I mean, any, any sports team that just excels, it's by great leadership. And I, th- I think that's the, that's the biggest thing. Like you could have all the superstars in the world and have all the best employees in the world, but if you have weak leadership, um, you're just going to fail. Yep. Right? You're just going to fail. And uh, that's even more apparent on on governmental levels. Also, I mean, it's just it, and government's even even worse, right? But um, you know, it's 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 tough. It's tough. I can't imagine if on the city level, right? If if you have a, a bad mayor, like you know, you see it every day with 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 all that's going on. Um, like you have you have bad leadership up top, it trickles down. It trickles down, and and it's it's just tough. It's tough.
1: Yep. And it feeds right into you know whether it be. You know, those people don't want to lose their seat on the city council, so their vote's going to be swayed by what she wants to do, too. And it goes from both sides. It doesn't matter what party you're on or whatever, but it's just sitting there and watching that leadership and looking back. Because I think one thing with the great leaders is what they're very good at is being goal-driven, and they have these amazing accomplishments, right? Like, look at everything that Nick Saban's accomplished, or um, you can go back to a lot of great coaches, you know, and look at them, whether it be, you know, Phil Jackson or, or, you know, um, whoever, it doesn't matter, but just using sports an example, or even you can, you know, even say some political leaders, but it's like, okay, what have you accomplished in the four years you sat in this chair? Nothing, you know, and I think that goes back to that being a leader of like, okay, well, you came in here saying that you were going to do things and what have you actually accomplished, which is not a lot. And if it has been something, well, was it positive or negative towards what you were trying to do for what the intent was? behind that action that you took, right? So I think that's a hard thing with the the city leadership was looking at that and, and trying to understand, you know, a lot of where that person was coming from and what they were trying to accomplish and do, um, while also, you know, saying humbly enough, we're looking to get better and we want to get better, but not having support from that person and not actually having a conversation with that person, um, doesn't, you know, help any, because I think it comes down to between, you know, the lower level and the higher level, it comes down to communication. And Mm -hmm. when there's no communication and when there's not communication, nor is there good communication, you can't accomplish anything because there's just none. And so when, when that happens and you look at that leader and you look at what that leader is doing, not by what they say, but actually by what they do Mm -hmm. and actually what they are doing and continuing to do the same thing with that city council, it's like, this is what you guys not only are saying, but now you're actually doing it, which really, again, tears people the wrong direction. That's what causes, even in a business, let's say a CEO does that or your top level leadership does that, like that's what drives employees out. That's how you're going to lose good employees. That's how you're going to lose people coming in and wanting to come work for you because- of weak leadership. And because a lot of times, even though you say you're going to do things, like your actions will always speak louder than your words. So when you're actually going out and doing that, people are not stupid. They're very intelligent, no matter what level they're on. And they see that and they observe that. Like Again, nobody wants to work for that leader. Nobody wants to be a part of that. Nobody wants to say, like I'm willing to sacrifice my life away from my family or whatever it is you truly care about, your woodworking business, doesn't matter. And go work for that person who doesn't support you, nor is a good leader.
0: Right. Yep. I think, I think, uh, you, you hit on the head. It's, it's not what you, what you're talking about. It's what you actually did, right. Or what you're doing. Right. Um, you know, if you can, you can say, you can see, or you can tell a lot about people, um, when you first go meet them, it's like, Hey, what have you done? Like, like if you go and you talk to somebody who, I don't know, like, like, for example, when, when I, when I got into real estate, um, and this, this goes back to like Andy is saying, nobody's gonna believe in you until you've done something. Right. Because it's it's powerful, right? If you just talk about it, it doesn't matter, right? It just, there's just it's just mouth. Um, but like nobody believed in us when we started real estate. I was like, hey, like, like, let's let's take some money, let's go flip the house, like yada, yada yada, I know how to do it. Well, understandably, they didn't believe in me until I flipped five houses, right? And now we're on number like 14 or something, and now I've got a, a bunch of avenues to figure it out but it's because I have a track record of doing the things I said I was going to do and keeping the promises I, I made to myself. Um, and then other people see that and are like, wow, like, like I, like, that's awesome. Like, let's do that. Um, and it, it could be the gym. Like it, it could be me squatting 455. Like, like, you know, you can, you can post, Oh, dues paid. But like, if you're just going in for 30 minutes and, and pushing around a few weights and pressing dues paid, like, you know, but if you go look and see, oh, what's your squat max or what's your bench max, what's your deadlift or how many bodybuilding competitions competitions have you competed in or won or, you know, done whatever, um, it's the results that matter, right? It's, it's not the, oh, I went and worked 45 minutes today. Awesome. But what'd you accomplish? What'd you do? And so I think that's, that's a great example. Great yeah. Example. Love it. So anything else you got for me? I'll have, I'll have one more question for you.
1: Ah. Uh, I don't, I don't think so. I think it's been great being on and, um, you know, like I said, I think it's been really great to talk about, you know, where I'm at now and I appreciate you having me on. Um, and I think if I could give a, a little piece of advice to, you know, anybody listening is it is a big life decision to change a career. Um, and it can be incredibly difficult, but if you find something that you truly believe in, whether it be the leadership, the mission of the company, the core values, you stepping away Will be worth it in the long run. Even for me, I took a very large pay cut to come to first form. I took a large pay cut. Um, I lost most of my retirement because I wasn't fully vested in the pension system that we had. Um, I I lost, you know, government benefits and all that stuff. Um, and I I started at a very low wage to pack boxes in a warehouse because I believed in the mission and I believed in the company, um, for what I was doing. And it was a huge change. And I know a lot of people may get in a rough spot. I'm not telling people just jump ship, leave their job. Like I was very tact, uh, tactful in my approach of what I needed to do. I didn't have anything else at home. You know, I didn't have family, kids, that stuff. So like, for me, it was almost like the universe lining up telling me to go, but sometimes, hey, you, you have to make a big jump to see, you know what it is that you're truly capable of and to see you jump even higher than what you were before. So I think with the people that are thinking about that, you know, really weigh your decision and make the best decision for you, because again, you may at the time feel a lot of pressure, but with great pressure can create diamonds. So a little, little bit for everybody.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So I've got one more question for you before we go. Um, and <clears throat> it's, it's, it's just, a, I'm sure you've been asked this, but it's a, just a basic question. Um, when you wake up in the morning, why do you do what you do? Why do you wake up in the morning and choose to get better every day?
1: I wake up in the morning choosing to get better every day because I truly believe as cliche as it sounds that God or whatever you may believe in has given me an opportunity to be a human being and try to become the best that I can be. And that doesn't mean, you know, waking up every day that, you know, I have to try to, um, you know, really go far and beyond of what I ever exceeded, but taking those small steps every single day to try to become better. And I think that's really important to realize because again, going back to the cliches, like you have one and whatever chance to become a human and like all this stuff, right? I'm very blessed to be you know here and have the opportunity that I do in the United States. I'm very blessed to have a family that you know did care of me. Did I have family problems? Absolutely. But what I didn't wanna leave on the table as I've become a little bit older is not trying to become the best that I could be myself right? And waking up every day and actually getting to work with other human beings um, really drives me to be the best version of myself that I can really find. And that doesn't mean in other areas in life that I've lacked, whether that be spiritually, mentally, even at times, I'm sure you have too, like, hey, my fitness, maybe not as great as it could be. And just self-assessing myself and trying to push myself because God has given me that chance to mm-hmm. be human and be the best that I can be to give of service in this, in this world, um, for the short period of time that I'm on this earth. So I just firmly believe that everybody's got one shot and everybody should take that one shot to be the best you can be. And guess what? If you're the best, you know, if you're a janitor at your school, be the best janitor you can be like, be the best at cleaning the floors, be the best at sweeping, like whatever it is. Same thing with Andy's fry cook analogy, like be the best fry cook you can be. Like, you know what, we need great fry cookers, like Andy says, you know, people that make the fries, but be the best one. Like, why why not be the best you can be? You're into video games, be the best you can be, you know? So I, I just think it's waking up every day and trying to find that within myself that I have the choice to either lay here and do nothing and become nothing or, or get up and try to make the most out of the opportunity that I'm given. And that, that's what I think that drives me every day is is trying to really dig in with myself to find what it is I'm truly capable of.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. I think seeing the opportunity and, and seizing it is is something a lot of people can take away from that um because I think a lot of people don't really realize how much opportunity they have or or there is or or really like how awesome it is to even have the opportunity like where we are yep. right like it's if you if you're in China. Not going to happen if you're in russia not going to happen if you're in india not going to happen if you're in saudi arabia there's maybe maybe the middle east maybe saudi arabia middle east not going to (laughs) happen africa not going to happen right australia right now not going to happen canada obviously not going to happen like i think right now in the united states like if you aren't pushing the envelope every day you're just being super complacent and you're, you're you're very entitled um currently. And that's, that's something that I just have to really rein back in every day is like, this is an amazing opportunity. Just I mean, I mean, somebody in Mexico right now would would switch places immediately, immediately with me to get the opportunities that I that I get that I have, right? And you can call it privilege, you call it whatever. But if we you know, even if we are privileged, we are like, take advantage of it and and go do some good, right? Go go be better for everybody else
1: we'll be better and give back to the world as, as what you've been giving your gifts for.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Cool. So I think that was good. That was a good one. I, uh, maybe, maybe whenever we, whenever we we're a little more successful, quote unquote, we can give on a podcast and, and give some more, some more insight. And uh, I'm, always maybe, down. I'm always down. There we go. Maybe somebody will take, uh, actually, actually listen to me, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's good. I think it's good, but we'll get back on this thing again. And, and I really do appreciate you coming on.
1: I appreciate you and I appreciate all the guests listening. Um, Yeah, you guys, I I can't tell you how grateful I am for you. And I I really appreciate being on today. Awesome. Awesome. We'll get back
0: on it again. And uh, I appreciate you guys for listening, but it was good having you. Appreciate you, brother. 101 and Fuck what they talk about. I've been getting my cake and running wild since a little child. Yo, getting it every day. I'm working sun up till the sun down. Yo, I'm getting it every day.
1: These niggas hating, trying to see how I do this shit. Bitch, I'm not new.